we're going to look at um, two of the letters, Paul, Paul's letters. One of them is the first letter of Corinthians, and the other one is Ephesians. One of the things that I would say to you all is that there is logic in the way that the scripture unfolds. Uh, So I'm going to begin in chapter 4 of the Ephesian letter. And if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, I just want to show you a little of the logic of truth as Paul is writing there. Now, he reaches a kind of a climax in chapter 4 at the end of verse 16. So the end of verse 16 in Ephesians chapter 4, this is how verse 16 goes. Christ, last word in verse 15, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied. When each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. Now that's his climax of that little section because he's going to go on to something else from verse 17. We're not Gentiles. Uh, We're not uh, living like the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. Scripture has no grays. Scripture is black or white, life or death. We were saying in a meeting this morning, when Jesus told the parable of the the field and the seeds that were sown in it, which is in Matthew 13, He speaks of seeds that were sown by the servants of God, by the servants of the owner of the field. And then Jesus is not talking about the word in that parable. He's not saying the seed is the word of the kingdom. He says, when he interprets the parable, because they asked him, what does it mean? He says, the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. And you remember in the parable that there's an enemy who sows another seed in the field. And as it grows up, it is evident that it's not the real thing. And he, Jesus defines this, and I encourage you to look at it. 
because he defines that seed as growing in the field of this world as the sons of the wicked one, the children of the wicked one. Either or. Black, white. In or out. Born of God or still dwelling in darkness. If I switch it in another way, when Paul is ministering in and writing in the Roman letter, he says, two men, these two men who've ever lived are Adam and Christ. Only two men have ever lived. We're either in one or the other. You look at it very carefully. Romans chapter 5. And as someone actually who happens to be on Zoom, uh, to whom I wrote actually this afternoon among others, um, I wrote and I was replying to an email that Andres from Canada, um, Andres is Mexican, and uh, from Mexico, and Chuyulai, his wife, is from Malaysia. Uh, he was talking, and he, he was beginning to see the differences between Romans 7 and Romans 8. And he was seeing that in Romans 7, it is I, 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 I. But in Romans 8, it's Christ, Christ, Christ. And so, you understand that this is how truth is. Which is why when Paul has been writing in these early verses of chapter 4 of Ephesians about the church, then he reinforces it by saying in verse 17, Now this I affirm and testify in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. God has worked a work in you people in Ephesus. That's what's happened to you. God has worked to work in you of such a nature that you no longer need to live in the futility of the mind. Um, One of the things that you will discover in the history of the people of God is the drift that can happen. Let me say very clearly to you that it is easier to begin than it is to continue. You can have a very good, clear beginning where you are born from above and you know it and God has wrought a work in you and you know it 
and he has put his seed in you and you know it but it is another thing to experience the daily grace that enables you to continue and continue and continue and continue in the face of opposition in the face of life's issues to continue, to continue, to continue. And there is grace for continuance in that which you have been given. So, for instance, again, sorry those of you who weren't there, but the, the meeting this morning at one point, in the meeting this morning, we sang a song. Um, Jesus, we enthrone you. We proclaim you our King. Standing here in the midst of us, we lift you up with our praise. And the author wrote this, And as we worship, build your throne. And as we worship, that's what he wrote. I have never sung that. As we worship, build your throne. I always changed it to, uh, as we worship, be enthroned. You're enthroned. You see, the throne is. God is enthroned. Jesus is at his right hand. It is done. It is done. And our continuance will depend upon us maintaining the fact that Jesus is enthroned in us. We enthrone you, Lord. We're not building your throne. We're making sure that you are enthroned. And that's the peril of the saints. Where... If you like, there is this drift where other things take the throne. Practically, in our living. And in the logic of chapter 4 here, you, as I pointed out, chapter, verse 16, you come to this wonderful state where uh, the bodily growth, the, the church is growing, the body is growing, the body is growing, bodily growth, it is being built up, the church is being built up worldwide. And you notice where the chapter begins, for there is no possibility of real growth in God's church of his body. Paul does not mention mission. He does not mention evangelism. He doesn't mention any of those things by name. The things that we've got into. Where he begins is in verse 1 of chapter 4, I, therefore, 
a prisoner of the Lord. I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. He doesn't first of all talk about we need apostles, we need prophets, we need teachers, we need evangelists, we need pastors. In this section he's going to begin with the fact that it all begins with those who are the prisoners of the Lord. And you notice how Paul is very conscious. He's in prison at this time, actually, but he declares the true one that he's a prisoner of. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. That's why I'm here And I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all lowliness and meekness, with patience, forbearing one another in love. Essential conditions of heart. Essential conditions of heart if there is to be growth of the body. And I bring you there because there is a debilitating thing going on in Corinth. So I've gone back in my mind to the Corinthian church that began so well. And instead of them walking a life that was worthy of the calling, instead of them walking in all loneliness and meekness with patience and uh, forbearing one another in love, instead of that, they were walking in pride. They, They were, and in that pride, they were being divided from one another around their pet doctrines and their pet notions. And so they were no longer building themselves up in love. Their meetings were doing them more harm than good, which we will come to. They were gathering and they were not building one another up. They were not growing up into him. They were harming one another. And these are things that are profoundly serious, aren't they? And these are essential states of heart. So you may measure yourself. Whether God's dealings in you, I may measure myself. Whether God's dealings in me are working in such a way that I know that I'm being and walking in a greater degree of humility than I was 10 years ago, or 20 years ago. Amen. And if you were to go through, and I'm not going to do it, but if you were to go through these verses in the logic of truth, you would find that, uh, you know, this tremendous thing that he does where Christ fills everything. It says that he descended 
and he ascended and he gave gifts to men. That's verse 8. He gave gifts to men. And his gifts, and you notice that he gave gifts to men having filled all things. You notice there in, if you look at it carefully, it says he ascended far above all heavens, having descended into the lower parts of the earth, that he might fill all things. Jesus might fill all things. Do I meet him in all things? Do I find him in all things? In everything that happens. Anyway, you go on down through these verses and he gives gifts to men. And it says his gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the service, the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is what's in his mind all the time, building up the body of Christ, uh, till we come to maturity. And I I want to challenge um, this evening very, very clearly, because there are two words that have been very strong in my heart. And these two words are found in verse 15. Right in the middle of the verse. One of them has four letters, the other one has two. Grow up. Grow up. The whole theme is maturity. The whole theme is let's see the real work of God built up, the church built up one another built up, grow up into him in all things. And you can take that all things in two ways, can't we? At least two ways. Grow up into him in the all thing. I was talking to my sister, one of my sisters. Both my sisters are younger than me. And uh, it's the first time I've had a conversation with her for at least a year. And uh, we talked. And she was asking about the virus. uh, Whether we were affected by it down here. And I said, not much. And she said, well, Ishmael, Ishmael is the husband of one of her daughters. He's a Palestinian. Um, Ishmael's brother died of COVID. And then she said, and my best friend's husband has just died of COVID. 
Can you grow up into him in that thing? So I said, well, how is the lady, the widow, who's just buried her husband? Does she know the Lord? Can you grow up into the Lord in that thing? All things. Grow up into him in all things. When you're busy, incredibly busy, of necessity, incredibly busy. When you have no time to be still in the sense of there are demands being made upon you. Can you grow up into him in a Chinese prison? Can you grow up into him? Grow up into him in all things. You see, this is what the Corinthians were not doing. This is where the peril is when we don't continue, when we don't receive the grace. How can you grow up into him in such things? Can you grow up into him going through Auschwitz? Is that possible? Because you know that there were Christians who, Polish Christians, who cared for Jews and were discovered and they died in Auschwitz. Can you grow up into him in all things? That's the thing. Paul says, grow up into him. In all things. And then you can take all things another way, can't you? Grow up into him in all the ways that he wants you to grow. You know, grow up into him in the lowliness. Grow up into him in the love. Grow up into him, into the care. Grow up into him into the patience, grow up into him, into the tenderness, grow up into him in the firmness, grow up into him in in all things. That's what is so challenging. There are some of us who are just absolute sentimentalists. We're softies. All we want is lovey, 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 lovey Jesus. Uh, Much of the stuff that has been written by the songwriters for the last 40 years has always been tinged with sentimentality, with softy. It's the sort of uh, song that's always talking about Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, sweet, oh, lovely Jesus. That's, yes, did you know that the only place that regularly you will find him called Jesus is the book of Hebrews. And they are a suffering people. And he's wanting to write to them to encourage them about Jesus' humanity. But 
nearly all the other places, to us, there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. Lord. You see, some of us need to grow up out of that tendency to softness and sentimentality into the firmness and to the courageousness. And there are others, you know, and we need to come of us, come the opposite direction. (laughs) You know what I mean? We're so given to being very straight and judgmental and confrontational and, you know, in or out, in or out, you know. And we have to grow up into him, into his tenderness, into his gentleness, into his love, you see. Grow up into him in all things. And you know that if I go back into 1 Corinthians now then, as you are moving through in this letter, 1 Corinthians, we are moving near to, in the logic of the letter, he's been dealing in chapter 7 particular and other places with some very practical questions. But we're moving toward the actual practicalities of gathering, of meeting, of mingling, of mixing, of being the community of God gathered together. He's going to talk about that. He's going to write to it, to them about their meetings and if you go into chapter 8 um, so just have a look there and see if we can um, confirm the things that we are saying now verse 1, concerning food offered to idols we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Got the same things in his mind. Building up. Building up. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know now there's the lowliness there's the the perspective there's the the thing Bernard you don't know as you ought to know So, for for instance, what they call counselling nowadays, you see, the delineation of people into boxes, oh, he's a this, he's a that, she's a the other, she's that. It's in the churches too. 
this kind of thing. Anyone who thinks they know, we don't know as we ought to know. We don't know. So you approach the scripture. You approach doctrine. You can understand he's speaking right to the condition of pride that is bringing about division, separation, the atomization of people. I don't know whether you have thought very much about what happened at some point we don't know when. When Satan, Lucifer, rebelled against God and in the unity of heaven there came separation. And when sin entered into the human race, you know, the Lord said that uh, you shall surely die. Actually, he just said you shall die. Or did he say you shall surely die? Have you checked it up? Check up how Satan always adds or takes away from what God says. Just do a check up on that one. And see how the serpent talked to the woman and see what he added and what he took away. Because he's the author of that. Of adding and taking away from what God says. Adding to make it worse than what God said. Taking away to make it milder than what God said. But have you thought for a minute, God said you'll die. You'll die. Can you tell me how old Adam was before he died physically? Hundreds and hundreds of years old. 900-ish, I think it was. But you know, you'll die. And their marriage died, in part, didn't it? And Adam died immediately, because he became, within his own soul, a divided being. That's death. That's death. You see, and his mind became divided from his emotions and affections and his heart from his head so that we in the church talk about, you know, it's in my head but it's not in my heart. It's all language of death. It's all language of division. That's the thing. And we become atomized from one another. Death. Tell me what's the opposite to death. You say life. Yes, but Lazarus, he came to life, but only to die. 
Lazarus wasn't resurrected. He was revived for a while. There's only one person who's been resurrected. Paul's going to talk about this at length in chapter 15. Oh, you Corinthians, do you not realize that Christ was the first one who ever said, I'm the life. There's no division in me. There's no separation between head and heart, between emotions, affections, and intelligence and imagination. I haven't got inbuilt division inside me. Part of me wants, part of me hates, part of me wants to go that way, part of me wants to go the other way. Oh, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he he rose from the dead. And isn't it a wonderful thing for you to begin to contemplate? You see, there's that wall there. Can you walk through that? Are you united properly with that material thing there? You can't walk through that. But Jesus became united with the material in a whole new way. Jesus could come and appear where he chose. Everything became one to him. This is life. You know, his body changed. It was still the same body, but it was different. You see, at the moment, you, you're, you're, my body's getting older, your bodies are getting older, your body feels like an enemy at times, doesn't it? <laughs> That's right, isn't it? But Jesus is the lie, the resurrection. And everything coming together. You know, it's so very, very wonderful. What? And Jesus is the first fruits of those that are raised from the dead. You say to me, Bernard, are you telling me that I will be able to walk through walls? Yes. I'm telling you that. That there will not, you will be in a right relationship with everything that is material. The spiritual and the material. You see, these are the things into which Paul wanted to, you know, conduct the, the church in Corinth. Away from the, the, the negative understandings that they had. You know, we don't have enough, you know, we know nothing as we ought to know. That's the thing. We know nothing as we ought to know. This is why you get little tastes of this, don't you? You get little tastes of it. Here's a little taster of the unity of all things. Here I am in Australia. And the church, I'm going to Spain to preach in Spain. And I'm going to Madrid and I'm going to Burgos and I'm going to different places and I'm finishing up. Now I'm starting in an island called Ibiza uh, in the Balearics. 
And uh, as I'm leaving the home church, they say to me, you've told us that the church in Ibiza is building a building. Will you take some money from us? Will you take it? And I said, of course. And so the church uh, guys gave me, I don't know what it was, uh, four or five thousand Australian. Give it to them. And so I said, fine. And when I got to Australia, uh, sorry, when I got to Ibiza, I handed all this Australian over to them. And I thought no more about it. I did what I was supposed to do. And uh, Guillermo said to me a day or two later, he said, that was a miracle. I said, what was a miracle? He said, wow, we changed the money into Pesadas as it was in those days before they went on to Euro he said and we listed all our we got all our bills that were outstanding we put them together and uh, what you gave us answered and met every bill to the exact centime All things are one, you see. And some of you have stories like that personally, where all things are connected. This door opens and that one closes. This is life. This is life. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. And this is why, as as I read on, I'm not got getting very far, I know, but um, all this is in context of food. You might say, well, why have you come to food? Well, you know, let's read it, verse 4, hence... As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. But there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. For us, 
One. <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? One God, the Father. For us, one Lord. Wonderful. Everything comes from one. Through one. To one. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Corinthians, you've lost sight of this. You've left the table. You are eating at other tables. You are listening. Every table has a head. Every table, every family has a head. This is where we're going to start getting down to some very serious stuff. Because you dare not try to be church unless you know who's head of the table. And it isn't the elders. And it isn't the Pope. And it isn't the best preacher you've ever heard. Or the key preacher in your church. They're not the head. And you know it's at this point, you see, to us, there's one God, the Father. To us, there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. For you Corinthians, this is where you must come. You must leave these other notions. You must come to this. And, um, you know, there's one table. This is why, before Paul is going to get to gathering together, having meetings that build up, that help us grow up, that edify one another, we have to come to that individual relationship where for us there's one God, the Father. You know the Pope. The word Pope means Papa, doesn't it? Father. You see, for us there's one God, the Father. For us there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. And... uh, As I look at these things, Paul is going to come. So I'm slipping over very quickly into chapter 10. Chapter 10. I want you to know, brethren, that our fathers all were under the cloud. And all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses. In the cloud. And in the sea. And all ate the same supernatural food. And all drank the same supernatural drink. For they drank from that supernatural rock which followed them and the rock was Christ isn't that remarkable nevertheless with most of them 
God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. I want you to know this, everyone. This is what Paul is saying. Remember back. They all had the same births. They all came through the same neck of the womb. It was called a sea. They all breathed the same air. The nation was born in a day. They all had one father. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all were. We are all of one. The church has one father. And when they came out of Egypt, born, born, born of the same spirit, air, you know the word air and spirit, wind, spirits the same. In the Hebrew and the Greek, they, they were all one family and they all sat at one table and what they had God purposely made sure that it was material it was water it was bread manna but it was supernatural there was that in the material that was completely spiritual. The spiritual was coming to them in the material. And they sat at the table in the wilderness and everyone could eat according to their need. And the rock followed them and the manna, and this is the thing, you know that the word manna means something, don't you? Um, the word manna is the name they gave to it because they didn't know what it was. What is it? What is it? It's supernatural. It's something that is so incredible it's there in the morning and they sat at the same table and the table had one head you understand and they were all baptized into one mediator whose name was Moses and you and I have all been born I hope we've all been born and we've been born of God's Spirit. We've been brought through the narrow neck of the womb. Our head came out first 
who's the name, whose name is the Lord Jesus. But if I talk to you about your head, you see, I'm talking spiritual mysteries here that are plain as day to me. I know that the physical is an incredible picture. Tell me about your skull as you were being born. Was it intact? No. Were you mastered by your brain? No. Was your skull something that had a hole in it? That's the thing. So that you were small enough to come through that narrow neck. They were forced beyond their minds. Their reasoning said, we can't go this way, we can't go that way, we can't go forward, we can't go back. You see, we've got to go through there. And God opened a way up. And they were baptized into Moses. And they were in the cloud and in the sea. And they all came. So what are you proud about, you Corinthians? Saying, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of this. You all came from one. You all came from one father. You were all born through the same birth. You were all nothing. And I begot you. That's what the father says to us. I begot you. And I made you sit at my table. I brought you into the wilderness where you couldn't till and uh, plough and use all your own expertises. I made you sit at my table and learn of me. I brought you to the place where even the first water was bitter. And then I showed Moses and he threw in a tree. And the tree made the bitter sweet. The tree, the cross. Can I ask you where Jesus was crucified? In the place of a... Come on. Skull. And did they not set the cross in a socket? Right in that skull? They made an indent there. Everything speaks. They made a great indent. It doesn't respond to the reasoning mind. Because God is moving in spiritual food. You remember how our Lord Jesus, these, these things are so vital. I'll never be a minister of God unless I'm sitting at the Father's table. And eating is supernatural food. I'll only ever be a teacher teaching things I've got out of books. Educating people in their minds. Instead of inflaming their spirits. And quickening their hearts. It's not enough. You see, these are differences... The Apostle John 
You understand John's not primarily a teacher. He's a revelator. He takes you and shows you what he sees. In order that you, slowly as he, would begin to see it. And I should begin to see the table. Oh, you Corinthians, precious people. But look at you. You're squabbling. And you're squabbling because you don't see where you've come from. And the table that's spread before you in the wilderness. You've got to take Father's bread. The bread that Father gives you. You've got to take the blood your mediator gives you. Moses was their mediator. Jesus is our mediator. I tell you, brothers and sisters, there's one body and life forevermore is in one place in that body. And that's where the psalmist puts it. The oil comes on the head of the priest, the high priest, Jesus Christ. And it goes down to the skirts of the garment. Are you familiar with the psalm I'm talking about? Hallelujah. And I'll tell you how you get the anointing and many anointings and refreshing anointings day by day. And week by week you can know God's anointing. Yet more. Only if you're under his skirts. You've got to be under the skirts of Jesus. Am I speaking mysteries? You see, the oil came down on the head and rolled down You know the head of the high priest Aaron that first time where it said holy unto the Lord and it flowed down onto his garments even to the skirts of his garments. That's what it says. What number psalm is it? Tell me. You should know. It's an important one. It's 133. It's 133. We might as well go there. Not just me quoting it. It's not enough. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's what he's pleading for in Corinth, you see. That's what must come for us all. It begins, you know, in, in the one birth and the one father and the one DNA. Hallelujah. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down upon the beard, upon the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes, skirts of his garments the the collar is right down the bottom it's not round his neck it's down the bottom of his robes the skirts of his robes it's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion 
for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. He commands the blessing there. There under the skirts of the garments. There like the dew. And you remember how this connects up, brothers and sisters? What was it that became manna in the wilderness dew the dew from heaven in the wilderness I can be fresh in the wilderness of this world I can sit at his table oh you Corinthians You see, this they got to get right before they went into their meetings. Other the meetings would be a free from all, free for all. They'd be doing their ministry. I had an email today, I won't say from what country it was, but where the, it's a very missional uh, church there. They've recently the gospel came into that country. I've been there a good few times in the past. And uh, the church is young and they have this missionary zeal and the Lord has shut them up. The circumstances has driven them back into their country, into their main city. And uh, they are a nomadic people by nature, a, a, a people of movement and travel and go here and go there. They are a people of independence, naturally. And here they are all being driven together and uh, it, 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 they're squabbling. They're, they're, they're realizing they haven't got unity <laughs> with the Lord with one another, and they're struggling to find it. They're in a real struggle. And it's another email I wrote this afternoon to some of them. And just to try to encourage, oh, brothers and sisters, this is good that you can't because they were they were fighting for their mission our mission over here our mission in Uzbekistan our mission in Tajikistan you know and all those stands <laughs> you know and here and <laughs> you know <laughs> ah bless them bless them for their zeal bless them for their determination But the Father wants them to grow up into him in all things, into his son, into his son's life, you see. And you've got to sit down and eat. You've got to sit down. You know that, that, that drive and you know, as Paul is writing to these people, He's going to come through to end of chapter 10. So let's get there very quick. Otherwise we'll get nowhere. And <laughs> he says there's no temptation that has taken you that's not common to man. Uh, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above your strength. 
And then verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, shun (laughs) the worship of idols. Do you know, I was thinking about this. Of course, I think about these things a lot and wait on the Lord about it. And, you know, I, I thought, oh, Lord. Do you know, Father, our most subtle idols. And it's almost as though the Father said to me, yeah, it's not, uh, oh, most of you are not interested in jazz, and jazz piano and stuff like that. But, you know, the most subtle idols are not strictly come dancing or the voice or that sort of thing for God's people. The most subtle idols is when you remake the Lord in your own image. You know, the missional God or the, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? The Pentecostal God or Do you remember Aaron's mistake there when Moses was up the mountain? Do you remember how he he made an idol? (laughs) You know, uh, uh, it was an Egyptian thing, copying the Egyptian, copying the Egyptians. You know, what did it look like? Sort of a bull come calf, a golden thing, like but you know what he called it don't you do you know what he called it Jehovah Yahweh that's what he called it this is Yahweh and then what did they do as they worshipped this idol They got high. They ate and they drank and they rose up to dance and sing. You know, Moses came down the mountain with Joshua, didn't he? What's this noise? Oh, they're worshipping. No, they're not. They're following an idol. What's this noise? This is the sound of singing. What's this noise? That's what happens when you turn Jesus into an idol. You'll have singing, you'll have this, but you won't have worship. You'll have meetings. you won't have real love for God now there's nothing wrong with singing but I'll tell you this there is a difference between praise and worship and a very deep one you've got to get beyond the courts of praise into the place of worship And worship is to do with the proneness of your soul and your spirit in the presence of the Most High. Worship is to do with the proneness. 
and the stillness of your inner being in the presence of him who is your father and your God and his son. Worship. Even the Hebrew word for worship has its root in the thought of being prone, horizontal. Now you can begin to see why you have, I am of hill songs, I am of this, I am of that, I am of the other. We've got to do some growing up. And you can't grow unless you're born. Unless you're out of Egypt. Unless you're sitting at the table. <laughs> and I, I, I tend to think of this, and it delights me, when I think of the people of faith among the children of Israel, when I think of Caleb and Joshua particularly, you know, do you remember the spies that went up to look at the land and the false reports? And do you remember all the, the host of men that went up to kill and, and they failed and they got chased out? And, and I think of the faithful that remained like Caleb and Joshua who didn't die in the wilderness. And I think of them every day looking, going out for the manna and looking at the rock that followed them and drinking and not complaining and not murmuring knowing that they were going into that land because God had promised I shall bring them in and they were old guys weren't they? Where they went in, and I think of them at that table every day. Now these things are written for your instruction. That's what Paul says, verse 6 of chapter 10. Now these things are warnings for us. They're warnings for us. Hallelujah. We're not to put the Lord to the test. And I go down, and this is what it says. Uh, Verse 14, verse 15, I speak to, as to sensible men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The word communion. Is it not communion in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Can I ask you what the blood is, by the way? Just in its symbolic form. Now, I caught about two minutes of a movie. Um, some, Hazel was switching the channels. And there was this bit where these two men are coming into agreement. They're coming into a kind of covenant with one another. And uh, one of them spits on the palm of his hand and the other one spat on the palm of his hand and they shook one another mingling and of course it's a rather it's, it's a bit better than slashing your arm you know the other person slashing their arm but it's a reminder of the covenant the promise the promise 
You see, the, the communion. Do you remember? Do you know, you, you, you dear Corinthians, you're, you're in a real muddle, aren't you? Look, look, look what it says over here in chapter 11. And, you know, he didn't lead us in to all the riches of meetings and gifts and love, the chapters 12, 13, 14. He didn't lead us in there until he's got us here. Here it is in chapter 11. This, verse 23, I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. I was driving here this this evening. And I was just thinking of a lady in, in uh, the Terai in Nepal. And I went to this little town to stay with her and a few boys, young men, who were coming to the Lord. They were, it, it was, there was no church there, it was all just, she was a missionary with Wycliffe Bible translators. And she was talking to me uh, during the course of the week that I was there. It was a great week. And we had meetings and people came. But she was saying to me, do you know so-and-so? I, I listened to you and you sound a little bit like a man with white hair that came and preached in Kathmandu a few years ago. And uh, I said, yeah, I do know him. And she said, it was just about the most amazing time in my whole life. I've been a missionary for 15 years. And I went to one of the meetings and he stood up and he preached on the new covenant that God had made a promise and sealed it with the blood of Jesus that the covenant was in the blood of Jesus the promise, the certain promise that he would give to people a new heart that he would write his law and she said I'd never heard it before no one had ever told me that before in all the conferences I'd been to I didn't know anything about God's covenant sealed in the blood of his son 
And every time you take the cup, you remind yourself of the covenant. You remind one another of the covenant that God has made. A covenant, you Corinthians, of being people with God's law written in your heart. The law of love written in your heart. The law of poured out life written in your heart. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus said. Do this. Don't just think, brothers and sisters, don't just think of bread and wine. Do this. Do this. Poured out lives. Broken bread. Do this. This. Do it. Of which the communion, the Lord's Supper, the table of the Lord is a symbol. Come and eat this food. Am I making sense? Do this. Corinthians, go love one another. Do this, be poured out for one another. Stop prating on one another. Stop biting one another. Stop devouring one another. Stop it! Doesn't Paul say to the Galatians, you've gotten into all this legalism. You've got into all this law stuff. Be careful, you'll be biting and devouring one another. That's exactly what's gone on in many churches, I tell you. Instead of pouring out. See, that's my call. That's my call. That's my call. That's what God says to me. Bernard, you've been born of one spirit. You've come out. You are to eat this food, the food of humility, the food that is found on the ground. This is how God sanctifies. I tell you, brothers and sisters, He sanctifies, he doesn't put it on some lofty table, he puts it on the dust. So you have to go down there and kneel and pick it up. Amen. And you find that spiritual and material are one. And you find this food (laughs) in the dusty places. Am I making sense? In the farming places, brothers here, farmers, your farmers, and lessons learned of God in the field. Do you know in the, in the ordinary things, in the dusty things? Oh, brothers and sisters, am I making sense or, oh, you know this is it. I'll be, you see, this is Corinthians, you're all up there. Come down here and eat here. Eat here on my table and turn to the rock. Look, there it is. Do you know pride blinds the eyes so you can't see the rock that's right there in your living room? (laughs) 
the rock that's right there in your workplace do you know what pops into my head as I say that straight away piles of timber in the east end of London piles of massive West African logs and lunch hour sweet and wonderful lunch hour when I was groping to find the Lord and I didn't have lunch for three or four or five years and good riddance to lunch I went out behind those piles of logs and I sat there with a Bible and cannot remember a thing I ever read or a thing God ever said to me because I don't think he ever said anything to me particularly but I was there and I was meeting drinking of the rock and didn't know it you see the rock (laughs) you know when you're a, a, a learner when you're hungry and thirsty There are things happening in your inner spiritual man that you know not of. And your mind will catch up later a bit. But our mind never catches up fully. (laughs) It's true. You see, do this. There are old Oswald Chambers, eh? And he wrote that little song broken bread and poured out wine Jesus make my life like thine make my life a living sign broken bread and poured out wine I'm sure he didn't make up that tune because it's a calypso but (laughs) but those are the words he wrote Broken bread and poured out wine. Jesus, make my life like thine. Oh, you dear Corinthians, you get this sorted out and realize your birth and where you've come from and who your father is and who your Lord is. And, you know, you, you learn to, to go down on your face and, and eat and gather the manna that's there every day and, and uh, with humble heart turn and you'll see the rock that is ever giving forth its water. This is what it's all about. This is why I have a feeling in my heart for what it's worth that Paul has been right through this Corinthian letter in his logical approach to truth moving toward the table getting us away from all the idols and all the idolatrous notions you know bringing us to the table bringing us and you notice that Paul when he talks about this he's going to say that if some of you aren't uh, if you're taking the symbol in a wrong frame of mind there's death entering into you 
And if you're lofty and pride and <sighs> divided from one another, and fighting one another, and you perpetuate the communion, no, no, you mustn't do it. It's bringing, it's bringing uh, problems to you. you. You've got to discern the body. That's what he says. When you come together, verse 33, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Tarry one for another. Am I making sense as as I I say this? You know, Verse 17 of the same chapter. In the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Isn't that a staggering verse? For in the first place, When you assemble as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must be factions among you. In order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Isn't that tremendous? You know that those that are genuine among you should be recognized. That's a big key to issues of leadership in God's church. It's a big key. That someone who is genuine among you should have been appearing in the midst of you. So that all you're doing is recognizing what God has already done. A gift God has already given. The genuineness. So you're not giving someone an office to live up to. A position to live up to and strain up to. You're simply recognizing what God has given and wrought. Amen. Amen. These are, these are the ways of the Lord. And uh, when you meet together, so he's going to get onto these things more. Next week, if you want to know, we're going to have to talk about male, female, biblically. Because you don't try and have church if you've got it upside down. We're not talking about sincerity and willingness. But if you get things like that out of order down the track, you'll end up with the worship of the woman, not God. You see, we didn't get to chapter 12 and 13, 14 
unless we travel through these things. Do you know, <coughs> I was with, um, there was a man named David Pawson, and uh, many years ago he'd written a book, and uh, the title of the book was Leadership is Male. And he said, as soon as that book was published, I lost 30% of my support. That's what he said. Challenging. But you see, we're not in it for support. We want to see the church glorious. Don't we? We want to see the church come to her glory. And when the church comes to her glory, you must never think that there will be an atom of injustice, an inappropriate behavior between male and female. The female shall be lifted up for what man is here without a woman. And would I be here without a certain lady who got so cold this morning she hasn't got warm yet. That's why she's not here. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) So she said, I'm not going to go. She said, I'm not warm yet. But you see, would I be here? You see, Would the church be here without Mary? Would the word have become flesh without Mary? Isn't it wonderful to think of these things? I I think it's wonderful. Wonderful. Let's try and find a man no, God says, where's the handmaid of the Lord? And he found her. Glory to God. Glory to God. And she did it for the whole of Israel. For all the women of Israel. She did it for all of them. Tremendous. We should love her. Not worship her. Like we should love one another. <laughs> No worship one another. I'm going to finish back in Ephesians and just come. And this all connects, brothers and sisters, I hope it connects in your thinking. But you know, we were here on Wednesday morning early, a few of us praying, and this section of scripture was read out to us. So here we are. Ephesians 3, for this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father. Remember, for us there's one God, the Father, from whom, from whom are all things. For this, you know you've got to go to the source. Jesus says, Come through me, but you've got to go to the source. You know, 
When you pray, pray like this. Like what? Our Father. Our Father. That's where it all begins. Our Father. That's where the seed comes from. Seed doesn't come from the woman. Seed comes from the Father. Jesus is that seed. He's that seed in you. He's that seed. Which if he finds ground in you to die in. Oh, he'll come up and bear fruit in you. In your thinking, in your walking, in your doing, in your heart, in every power of you. Oh, I found a field. (laughs) I found a field. Glory to God. A man's heart is God's field. A woman's heart is God's field. Your heart, my dear, is God's field. Hallelujah. How wonderful it is. It's wonderful. I bow my knees to the Father. From whom the whole family. Now, notice what I'm saying here because you'll find different versions say different things. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Some versions say that's what my one says. I happen to be using a particular version tonight. I use different Bibles. But, you know, you look very carefully in the original language. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. How much of the family is in heaven? Already. The family of our Father. The ones who he begot. Mary's there. She's not there because she's the mother of the Lord. She's there because she was born of God, of the Father. She's there, and Peter's there, and James is there, and John is there, and Priscilla is there, and Aquila is there. Amen, and Mark is there, and Luke is there. Amen and Amen and Amen. Am I making sense? The the family. There's more of the family there than there are here at the moment. Hallelujah. But the whole family is not yet for that's one of the reasons he's giving time. But the whole family I bow my knees to the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole family. Some of them, when you look at them, look like 144,000 virgins. 
<laughs> That's revelation. <laughs> in the book of the Revelation. Some of them look like an innumerable host that, that are, you know, you can't count them. There are so many. Some of them look like 12,000 of Judah and 12,000 of John. Uh, of, of, uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? Oh, they're all a family. All the fathers, he begot us all through his son, by his spirit. Ah, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you all to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man strengthened with might oh father strengthen us with might in the inner man do you do you notice the trinitarian verse here you do you notice the father strengthening us by his spirit in the inner man next verse that christ May you dwell in your hearts by faith, O blessed society. O blessed table. O blessed table. Christ is the head and yet Father's there and the Spirit is there. Amen. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, that's what happens to you when Christ dwells in your heart. You get more and more rooted and grounded in love and that's where I come back to where I began. That's how you grow up. You only can grow up into him in all things by being rooted and grounded in love. Everything must be love. That's the only way we can grow up. Strengthened in the inner man that Christ may live. And don't think singular only. Because all this is in the plural. A group of saints gathering up the road there in Rora house you know what they need do you know what they need they need to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man of that little assembly Christ should live in their hearts by faith That they become more and more rooted and grounded in love. uh, And they begin to comprehend with all the saints. This is true for us here. Though we're not a church, we come from different churches here. And those brothers and sisters out there in the different lands. Amen. Different churches. But I tell you, You have access to prayer, don't you? Wally, we, you have access to prayer. (laughs) Different names, Scott, we have access 
And we can go to the Lord. Oh Father. Work in your churches. As you're stripping them. Allowing them to be stripped of the usual things. Oh Father. Father. We can pray. Ah, we can pray. And so that the, you may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God into all the fullness. Now to him who is of power, by the power at work within us, is able to do far more abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Amen? He can do this. He's going to do this before the end shall come. The church shall be won. Jesus' unanswered prayer to this point shall be answered that they may be one as you Father are in me and I'm in you that they shall be one in us. That's the unanswered prayer of Jesus. John 17. It hasn't been answered yet. But it shall be. They shall be one. Oh Lord, you prayed it. Here we are. He's able to do abundantly above all we could ask or think to be to him be glory in the church. That's the way it comes. To all generations. To him be glory in the church. Blessed be his name. Blessed be his name, brothers and sisters. This is the path to glory. Oh, I tell you. There shall only be glory in the church if God is glorified in you. Amen. That's another thing to talk about another time. Oh, Father. Thank you, Lord. We lift our faces and our heads to you. Ah, we say amen and amen. Thank you for the table in the wilderness, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for oh, broken bread and poured out wine. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We're at your table, and a table, and you have broken your Son for us and made him the head over all things. At this point, and then one day, he shall give it all back to you, Father. He will give it all back to you. And then I guess you'll give it all back to him and in a way and to 
your other sons who we are. And then we'll all give it back to you again. And so there shall be glory of the constant giving and receiving. Help us to learn, Lord, that the only way to receive is to give. Oh, Lord, help us to loosen our belts and the bondages that we have wrapped around our own necks. Lord, that have not killed us, but have limited the flow of the life within us. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for us all. Thank you for everyone on on the Zoom and here. Thank you for everyone. Amen. We give ourselves to you, Lord. We lift our faces and our hearts. and We love you, Lord. Why, why don't you just do that where you are at home there if your heart rises to him because of the word that's been shared tonight. Let your heart rise up, rise up, rise up. Rise, let your heart rise to him. Let your love rise to him. Oh, don't seek for words. Just tell him that you're grateful and that you love him. Oh, Lord, let your heart rise. Rise through all the obstructions, the, uh, you know, self-consciousnesses even through the limitations of language rise let your heart go to him with thanksgiving with praise oh Lord Lord your people all around the world Lord even the countries we've mentioned tonight, Lord, directly and indirectly, your people, the whole family in heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Our Father,